You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. We've been away for a few weeks. I'm Ben, joined by Mike, Alex Rubenstein, and Zito Madu is on the line through the magic of Skype. Everyone, welcome back. Hope you all had great holidays. Mike, you're you know on the cusp of being a father. We'll get to that uh, once wow, that you happens. You just drop that in as if once our, that happens, our, our, our uh, audience doesn't know. That's you exciting just as shit. That in when it's just me, uh, a few weeks from now, people will know. Yeah, so yeah, I, yes, I have uh, I have a baby on the way. Thanks. Yeah. For, you blew my spot up. My man. Thank you. My man. All right. Um, yeah, what did you – what was it? What did everybody do over New Year's? Yeah, let me just – did everyone watch all of the basketball on, on Christmas? Was that something that happened here? That was some fun hoops. Yeah. yeah that was, I enjoyed it. Zito, so, did you watch all of it? Uh, I watched most of it, but then again I was like – Drunk a lot during this holiday season, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to go about the holiday, especially when it's zero degrees outside. It's a good way to stay slightly do, slightly warmer. Do you know who else was drunk? Uh, the TNT crew calling the late game. Yeah. <laughs> like, actually, though. Like, so. <laughs> definitively drunk, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Zeta, you have that in common with uh, <laughs> Ernie, with uh, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, and Shaq. Yes, yes. And, uh. I've always been one of the great players in the NBA. We're tired of talking about the sport. You're about as equally outspoken as those guys, so that might be the line to, to draw. Um, Without on the that, Hall of Fame legacy. <laughs> yet. Save that. Uh, but we do want to tackle things that are happening in the NBA like like now. Um, the Christmas games were cool. Um, we've now seen a few games post-New Year. Um, some teams are trending back to the norm, like the Knicks in some cases. Other teams are getting exponentially better by adding players uh, to the roster who are injured, like Isaiah Thomas, who debuted last night. Uh, today is Wednesday the 3rd, so on, on Tuesday uh, the 2nd, we were able to see Isaiah Thomas finally put on that Cleveland Cavaliers uniform. Obviously tonight, so you'll probably be listening to this as it's already happened or happening, uh, Isaiah Thomas will not be playing against the Celtics, but that's a larger conversation you know, we'll talk about when we talk about Kyrie. Zito, what were your thoughts last night seeing the red uniform, seeing Isaiah Thomas playing for a new team and the ovation that he got from his new city? Uh, well, my first thought was that he looks like a 14-year-old kid, and that's always <laughs> baffling because, like, he's 5'9 and looks very, very young. Yes. But, have, you, have you ever – I've stood next to him, like, back – not a humble bag or anything. Is he 5'9, Mike? <clears throat> like, I, I remember interviewing him his rookie year when he was with the Kings uh, way back in the day, and, like – I, I, he literally came up to my shoulders, and I felt really strange talking to an NBA player that was significantly shorter than That's me. That's all you. He looks as small in person as he does on TV. Were you, like six feet? Yeah. Yeah, like he's that. like – I call, he's a 14-year-old kid with like a mean streak. So, <laughs> like, I, I appreciate him. Definitely. That's why the Kyrie Irving – Commercial that came out on Christmas that had him show his body double as like a really little kid. Yeah, yeah. That's why that mm-hmm. moment had extra sort of poignancy. Well, yo, is it, do <laughs> yeah. we know? Do we know if Isaiah Thomas's son's name is Isaiah as well? Because when when Isaiah it's two Tom- sons, right? 
He does. The one who was sitting on his lap during the post-game interview last night on NBA TV. Because... Isaiah Thomas was interviewing Isaiah Thomas, and I think Isaiah Thomas was sitting on Isaiah Thomas's lap. So if that's the case, uh, that was Inception. fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Just like circles and circles. Isaiah Thomas cubed. Um, so anyhow, what were your thoughts, though, on the actual basketball? Alex, I'll, I'll concede this to you at the moment because you're someone who I know is all about the numbers. And last year, Isaiah Thomas was one of the best players the NBA has ever seen offensively. So how did you see that transitioning last night in just the small sample size that you were able to see? In the minimal sample size, it was fun to see how he fits into a squad where there's another strong shot creator. Uh, mm. You look at his recent time in Boston, what, like Avery Bradley was probably their secondary ball handler. Like Since he played with Goran Dragic, like he's been his whole team's offense. Right. Um, and so I think he's already, in the limited sample that we've seen, meshed well with LeBron and playing off LeBron, and it's only going to get better and better as they play more and more. Yeah. How many minutes did they they play together last night. It wasn't that many. I mean, right? I only played 19 total. Yeah, he was on. He played a, a lot with Dwayne Wade though, where it's sort of the similar like two yeah. ball handler thing going on. Right, uh, and it looked pretty good at least against Portland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, back to that 14 year old with an edge because I think that's kind of like a, a interesting way to contextualize the chip that this guy has on his shoulder for for the rest of this season, if not the rest of his career that he's already had for the previous whatever years of his career, like. What do you think is the the optimal like what LeBron gets out of every teammate? What does he end up getting out of Isaiah? Like what what are you looking for to be that like LeBron plus up with Isaiah? Well, I think in Isaiah's case, it's just instant offense, right? Plus, he's a uh, he's always been a willing passer. But it's the fact that now, or LeBron does have somebody who can actually like take care of the offense when he's not playing, or somebody who can score points at will. It's like we saw we saw in his little debut he had what was it seventeen and nineteen minutes mm-hmm. and it was just he was just shooting threes like stepping into threes like he's like he was just never out in the first place yeah and I think what people have forgotten was just how phenomenal he was last year right like he had he was one of the best players in the in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and he was like. He was instant offense all the time. He can't defend to save his life. That's not really his fault. But if you want somebody to put points in a points in a score a scoreboard, Isaiah Thomas does that just as good as anybody else. And considering his minutes are replacing Jose Calderon's, the defensive mm. deficiency doesn't even it's not even <laughs> as glaring when it's replacing Calderon. Okay, but this is an interesting question. I think worth asking. Um, say what you want about Jose Calderon, but the Cavs. Once Derrick Rose stopped being with the team and once they started Calderon and then turned the second unit over to Wade handling the ball, they played a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, hearing us talk about Isaiah's instant offense and all these things, I mean, don't we usually associate these sorts of traits with a bench player? Uh, and is Isaiah, should he be a bench player? Is he going to want to be a bench player in his free agent year? I mean, and, and if he's not, then does he, can he fit in with LeBron and the starters well enough uh I mean, he did well with Wade as a back with Wade, which I thought was encouraging in the in the game against Portland because that's a similar dynamic where it's like two guys who want the ball in their hands, me, you know, who are best with the ball in their hands, and that worked out well. I thought they were good defensively, and they got on and ran, and they worked off together well there. Can I ask you a question about your question? Maybe you can help give no. me the answer. No. See how we flip that one, <laughs> um, Mike. What is the best? Not right now, but. Game six of the second round, let's call it. What's the best five to close the game with that Cleveland's going to put out? There? Well, I think it's a it's that's sort of why the question I think is important mm-hmm. because 
the st- whatever you want to say about how the Cavs uh, their roster now, like their mix is playing significantly better. Where the starting lineup is kind of like LeBron and Kevin Love show on offense. They've moved Love to center. They've given him the ball more. They've allowed him to be much more of a mismatch. They those two guys run run that that first unit, and then the second unit is much more um, Dwayne Wade doing his thing, mm-hmm. and surrounded by other shooters. Uh, you know, he's the point guard. They they're now working Tristan Thompson back in. I think. Thompson is a really good fit with Isaiah. Just I think that they'll be good for each other. So they have an interesting balance. Like you have to wonder. Uh, I think this is another one of those interesting situations where does the does the whole equal the sum of the parts here? If you put Isaiah in the starting lineup, you've clearly put the five best players on the floor. You've clearly put um, you've you've kept Wade on his second unit. Maybe you've clearly got the most firepower, but. Do you do you sacrifice something with particularly the with love? I think is the interesting question. You know, is Kevin Love still going to be the same sort? Because he's had an amazing year. I don't think people realize how good he's been this year. Like after an early start, his switch to center has been really great, and he's he posts up smaller dudes and he takes bigger dudes out. Like he's been great there. Do you lose some of that if you put Isaiah Thomas in the starting lineup right away? And but then. How will Isaiah feel about coming out the bench? These are really interesting questions, I think, for Ty Lue to answer over the next few months. And the other thing is that uh, you really don't want more than one non-shooter on the floor with LeBron. So between Wade and Thompson, I think they can really only have one of them on the floor at a time. So when they close games, say, against the Warriors in the NBA Finals, that's when it's going to be interesting to see. on Because Love will probably be on the floor as the center and how Golden State is able to pick that apart. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's why Jay Crowder's there. Jay Crowder's a big piece of that too. So it, it definitely makes Crowder more important. And like you got to see him last year in Boston, like he works pretty well with with Isaiah. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a fascinating science experiment a little yeah. bit, and it's one of those things that if you had a full training camp to like indoctrinate everybody, I think it would be one thing. But Isaiah, because he was hurt, and because yeah. you're not quite sure what you're going to get from health wise, and then you toss in the free agency stuff. I, yeah. This is what Tyler's supposed to be good at, and so it's going to be interesting to see. And I, he did handle, I think, the Wade situation pretty well uh, in the end. So, but it's, uh, it's going to be interesting how he does it. And LeBron's playing – is he playing the most minutes in, in the league right now? I think he's leading the league in right. minutes, yeah. So this will help that, I'd imagine, having someone else who can score. and, and Is he number one in the league in minutes? Pass a little bit, uh, set up with the guys. That will be a huge help for kind of – you know, tempering what you're doing with with the bronze minutes because that's definitely not the the right way to maximize him come come May. Um, yeah. Zito, a- anything else here I'm missing with Isaiah because I want to move over to the fact that he's not playing against Boston and 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 just what your thoughts were as someone who appreciates the uh, uh, let's call it the mental side of sports, uh, not playing, <laughs> not asking to have or asking to not have explicitly the thank you uh, video shown in, in Boston, and then overall, I know you wrote a little bit about this. Mike, I know you have some thoughts uh, as well. Yeah. Like, let's talk about the psychology of the entire swap. The Isaiah leaving Boston, the animosity with Danny Ainge, Kyrie, and where he sits in all of this <sighs> from an interesting personality and his exit from Cleveland, uh, even more so than his current situation in Boston. Um, give me your thoughts on all of that. Give me the mental armchair psychology part of this, Zito. <laughs> well, I do like that Isaiah has the short guy mentality, right? Where he's just always proved, trying to prove a point. Like when I was when I was like five, six, going into college, I was just ready to fight every and anybody at any time. <laughs> and now, so you're, like I, now you're six foot nine, and you don't want to fight anyone. Exactly, like it relaxed me. Once you get really <laughs> tall, you calm down a little bit. 
But no, so I appreciate like he's always out to prove a point to people. Just because even when he's out for just a couple of months because of the hip thing, there's so much written about if he can be the same person he was before the before the injury, which are valid questions, right? But he's like in the Kobe mode where any type of doubt make it becomes like something that he holds on to forever. And I think for the Boston thing, it's just I wrote about this a little bit with DeMarcus Cousins when he was traded. And there was a video of Cousins with, like, this group that he hung out with in Sacramento, like, the regular people from Sacramento. And he was giving a speech about how he was going to miss them. And he started crying. And so it was one of those things with, like, the with Isaiah being traded, he expressed how he felt. Or when he wrote the Players' Tribune, is that people forget, like, these, these people, like, they become part of the community that they're in. And so, for example, Danny Ainge just trading him is just like a very, very hurtful thing beyond just it making basketball sense. Is it destroys like relationships and things like that. And especially when he's talking about his kids were going to school and now they have to find like a different place to go. So mm-hmm. I always, I always look at those things. It's like these we talk about like them being human, but you never really see it until it's expressed explicitly, or you see a video of just how human they really are. It's like. Well, that's so, their life that's being up or turned upside down. Like it's a big part of this. Um, I think we all naturally root a little bit innately for the little guy, right? For the someone who who sticks out on the court for playing with the the largest athletes in the world and and being tremendous despite you know being small, short. Um, now wide and strong is all hell, but um, with that in mind, like is there's the the visceral. He's little and we root for him. But then the other part of this is he's very open. Isaiah's, yeah, you know, no. well, he's he's he'll he, let you know how he feels. A, well, yeah, he's. This is where I. This now, is why ahead, I shrug at this. Yes. Is like, you know, he's very talkative. <laughs> you know, and I imagine that there's a real there's in a way it's real. On the other on the other hand, and this is the point I, I think about a lot where he says, the other week, like he just, he had that tweet where he says, I, "It's not like I'm." bringing this up myself, the trade. It's what media people are asking me. Blame them, yeah. not me. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I understand. Like, you know, it's not like you're you're doing that. But you also did record a Players' Tribune, like, special <laughs> yeah. super yeah. video, like, kind of taking behind the scenes. So, on some level, I think it's probably good for brand Isaiah to continue to have this conversation. Otherwise... He wouldn't have done that, or he might. I mean, I don't know if that was his decision to publish it or the Players Tribune, but surely, if he was really concerned about like wanting to turn the page on this, he could have told them like, "I really wish you wouldn't put that out there," uh, and maybe they'd have a discussion. Maybe he didn't like that. I don't know. But on some level, he's speaking a little bit out of both sides of his mouth on this, which I think mm-hmm. is okay. Like as long as you're willing to admit that, maybe that's even more human than anything is, is exactly. being conflicted about this. Well, I think for the P- Players' Tribune then in the video, right, is one of those situations where the player knows he's going to be asked as, you know, a ton of questions about this going forward, and so they put it out on their own rather than having it twisted yeah. or whatever. Yeah, but because remember, that's what, he didn't just that's put what, it out. He filmed himself. Re- there was cameras reacting to his reaction to the trade. Like, this goes hmm. above and beyond, I think, telling your story. Like this isn't like like this isn't him just writing something in the Players Tribune that's him. Like he's he's opening himself up and in a way that I find very admirable and interesting for all the reasons that you're saying that it's, it has a dose of humanity. But then you can't then say, well, I'm just 
I'm just doing what I'm I'm just answering the questions I'm asked like don't get mad at me like there is sort of a two sides to this hmm. yeah it's also just made it's, it's amplified by the fact that these two teams are gonna play each other in the Eastern Conference Finals most likely and like the, yeah, you never see you never see in sports trades where the the best player from team A the year before ends up yeah. on team B the next year and the you know that just does not happen in, in professional sports in general it was an incredibly unique trade situation and the other part of that and again to bring you in here Zito as I know you have some thoughts on this but like there's the Kyrie exit from Cleveland and how quickly yeah. that happened and not just with uh, the speed with which it happened but how much that changed the landscape of the NBA I mean you, you guys again like Kyrie in the middle of their not even about to be prime coming off of uh a couple of the best NBA finals ever, you know, you just don't see those guys move. And so with that in mind, talk me a little bit, talk to me a little bit, I should say, about the Kyrie situation right now, which seems to have worked out great, uh, why that transition worked so well, and ultimately why it was such an interesting move out of Cleveland. We all saw the Jackie McMullen story, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where it's basically like why Kyrie left. Uh, there's some interesting stuff in there. What, what perked, uh, piqued your interest there, Mike? <laughs> The fact that he thought that they were trying to trade him, <laughs> he wanted out, and LeBron was asked about that and was like, what the hell is he talking about, basically? I forget yeah. what the exact quote was. Uh, and then the part where he was mad that LeBron would call him kid and call him uh, little brother, and he felt that was disrespectful, and I, man, <laughs> I don't know what you thought about all that stuff, so you know, but that I have plenty of thoughts on this. Kyrie is a different cat. <laughs> I just, yeah. He's a troll. <laughs> I mean, I don't think. Well, I think. Has, go ahead. Go ahead. I think with the whole LeBron calling them kid or little brother or just all of those little things are just when you don't have a good relationship with somebody, so everything that they do it just kind of comes off condescending. Mm -hmm. Like when yeah. you don't like somebody, they could do a very innocent thing and you just hate it. Exactly. <laughs> if, yeah. If I hate you and you're eating like chips at the desk it's probably the most annoying sound in the world to me so like mm. if yeah. they were really really close and lebron was calling him kid or little brother that would be an affectionate thing but if you have some distance between you and he does that it feels like he's trying to put you in your position which i totally understand and after you traded i wrote the article that the problem with how everybody reacted to it which is that Kyrie's leaving LeBron James a chance at going to the NBA Finals, blah, blah, for all of this, is simply that sometimes it's not just the championship that matters, which it really does matter because he wants to win that in the MVP. Mm -hmm. But it's the challenge of being somewhere else where he can become more than what he was in Cleveland. Because when he's in Cleveland, he's always going to be, it's going to be LeBron and Kyrie Irving. But in Celtics, he's just Kyrie, he exists as, as his own person. Even if he's part of a larger team, he like, and now he's getting he's he's like KD in uh, in Oakland, in the in the part that he's asked to do more than he was before, more in where, a different way. You know, but yeah, yeah, more in a different way. He's playing a more team ball. He's playing more defense. All of this, or he's even reacting better to being asked to do these things, which happens sometimes with when you go to a different environment. Like people are different in different environment. So I think it was good just because not only did he not sound like he wanted to be there anymore, but he has the new challenge of something else now, and he goes he gets to chase that, and he becomes a different player than what he was before. 
This is all. It's pretty deep. The, no, but I mean, this is. I, I agree with so much of this. I, you called him a, a troll, probably because you, the flatter stuff he was it's not kind just of. The Kyrie looks at people interviewing him and decides what he's going to say. Not if he's going to answer them. As opposed them with to literally anybody else. No, 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 no. I don't mean like what he's going to say. I mean like he's looking at them knowing he has the truthful answer. He has the condescending one. He has the one to make people have a Twitter conversation about it later. Because I actually think Kyrie's a pretty smart guy. And decides usually to pick the one that will fester on Twitter later as opposed to like the actual heartfelt answer. Maybe the difference between Isaiah and Kyrie is Isaiah looks at people and gives them, this is how I think and feel right now answer. And Kyrie gives the, ooh, I'm going to let them marinate on that answer. It seems like Kyrie did that with Jackie McMullen. But yeah, usually he's, he's just, you know talking out of his ass. Well, I, I said that he he's an exaggeration of what a smart person is. Like, he's one of those people who wants to act smart, but, so he takes the attributes of what he thinks smart people do and, very, like, exaggerates it. So it's one of those, uh, when he was talking about the flat earth thing, he says that you should always question everything, blah, 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 which is a very, like, it starts off in a smart foundation, and then he's like, the earth could be flat or the earth is flat. Right. Just ask questions, dumb. man. Yeah. 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 yeah so he takes exactly. a very s- smart foundation. But since he's not like being honest about it, he exaggerates and like bastardizes it. Yes. And it turns out sounding very, very stupid. One. Really, not to get like even deeper than Zito got, because it sounds like you were surprised by how deep that conversation. No, that I, was that was a good was. answer. I, I appreciate I, it. I think one of the the really interesting takeaways I have from this whole saga with Kyrie and LeBron and this really well done story and this whole thing, and it loops a little bit in with Isaiah, but I think is is this matter of. And this is also kind of I'm on a psychology kick, so this is probably also why I'm like kind of thinking about this stuff. Is like <laughs> the the very nature of what reality is is so dependent on the person. Like everybody's got a different reality. Yeah, like that sounds really deep, but it's like I look at the story and what caused the downfall between Kyrie and LeBron, and I love the way Zito put it. It's like the when someone is chewing their chips and you don't like them, it feels like the most aggravating thing in the world. If you have no problem or you actually like the guy, you never think about this. But yeah, it's still the same act. They're still just chewing their chips. But it is the underlying tension of what re- everybody's different reality is that causes something like calling a kid or little brother to be disrespectful to one person and perhaps endearing in another way. It occurs to me that I don't know if Kyrie Irving ever, or maybe they did or maybe it didn't matter, but like, don't you think some of this could have been solved by Kyrie just being like, look, I know this sounds weird and I know you don't mean it, but I, I'm a, do you mind not calling me kid? I know it's stupid, but like I kind of feel child? disrespected by that. Is he an only child? Uh, I know he's got no, a very he outspoken a dad. Sister? Okay, I know his dad. Right. He has a yeah. sister. One sister, okay, got it. But it's just one of those, like some of these things that like push them away, you know, this, that, and like the whole, oh, it's LeBron James's job to pass mm-hmm. the ball. Like it all stems from just like them not clicking as a duo. And don't you think some of that could have been solved if they were realer with each other? Definitely. There's definitely a, an element here, which is, they didn't have the right conversation at the right time. Part of that comes from you know, maybe Ty Lue not making that 
observation as a coach and being like, you two need to sit down and talk. The other part of it is it, probably there's a generational gap between the two. They're much different. One's 33, the other's 25, is 24 last year. But mm-hmm. I honestly think it comes down to this. They have one of the most unique situations that's ever happened, which is that they were a great team that won the championship and saw themselves as not as close as maybe they should be to winning that next title because the Warriors are who they are, because the way that they lost to the Warriors in, in last year's finals was not just defeating in a best-of-seven series sense, but also in like the how-do-we-get-past-this-next-year-or-ever sense. So I think that the, the unique situation of the external forces that play at play here, mm-hmm. call that the Warriors. Also, when you consider that Kyrie was, didn't recruit LeBron. No, no. You know, right. that was all it was a shotgun wedding in that respect. Totally. It started beginning. off as him being the number one pick and supposed to yeah. save a franchise, and then them being like, no, let's bring him the actual savior. Yeah, and one um, other point on the perspective point. I, I thought, Zito, you made a really good point where everybody was saying, why is he leaving LeBron why would anyone ever leave LeBron? And it's another example of how we project some of our value system on people that just will never – we see the world a certain way and they just – other people just don't see – you cannot possibly see the world the same way as someone else. There's just a filter. So the idea of why would you ever leave LeBron seems really appealing to us because we think of LeBron as this – great passer, great player, and that the, mm-hmm. the one goal is to win the title and it doesn't matter how and all this stuff. But Kyrie just has a different perspective on this. And, well, yeah. and that also, because so many players have sacrificed minutes and money and shots to play with LeBron, um, and, and this is like the only example of the other way around. It is, but then again, we've only had one Kyrie Irving, and I, I just... It, the implication, I think, that comes from that discussion is like, how does Kyrie not see it our way? But the world gets seen in so many different perspectives. And that's why I'm fascinated by this story. Because, like, if you just strip away all this, like, perspective mumbo-jumbo and all this, like, there's no reason those two people should have had the relationship they had. And there's no reason that should have ended the way it did. Agreed. I just don't think there's any reason. It ended for really, what I would say, not dumb reasons, but just... Petty. Yeah. And petty reasons that seem to me to be caused by just... Nobody being humble enough to admit mm. that they do see the world through their lens, and everybody sees the world through their lens, and we just have to main we have to understand that and maintain our relationship just to avoid this. I think it's like a humanity problem, to be honest, and it's it's summed up in. Damn, in we this. just lost Alex. I need to get we need to put this on the record. This needs okay. to get real quick. All right, you have two two minutes. We're gonna just sub this right in. We're gonna get back to this conversation. <laughs> Alex is here today because we are gonna do a quick segment called "Save It for the Pod." Because we talk in the office a lot, and then inevitably we waste all the good stuff just yelling at each other and not on the pod. So we saved it for the pod. Alex has a take that, uh, and this again is a one-off from the conversation we were just having, uh, that Markel Fultz will be traded from the Sixers in the next, you said, 12 months. By next year's trade deadline. By next year's trade deadline. No fucking way. (laughs) And because I just think that, okay, when Brett Brown initially said that uh, Ben Simmons would play point guard for them, I was like, all right, whatever. I kind of rolled my eyes. I thought of it like Jason Kidd saying Giannis was going to play point guard, which Giannis does create a lot and stuff, but they always have at least one, if not two, of Brogdon, Delavidova, and Bledsoe on the floor. They have guys that handle the ball and run the offense a lot, too. Simmons is legitimately and fully Philly's point guard, and the ball needs to be in his hand. And I don't see how the fit will work with the two of them on the floor at the same time. Therefore, trade faults. You've never seen him legitimately play in the NBA. Yeah, he's never played. Do you think Fultz and Simmons sharing the floor together 
can f- can have a cohesion together. Yeah, I think it could. Yes, it yes. could. I just think it's going to be tricky. I think the one thing that I'm going to give you a little credit here, which no, is that only a little credit. I'm not. Gonna, I don't think he'll be traded. I, I don't. <laughs> I think there's actually no way, especially given what they gave up to get Fultz, that they will trade. Fultz. So you'll think he'll at least play through his rookie contract, uh, if yeah. not get a big extension. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, we could talk about the extension after I see him uh, have his first like, double-digit point game in the NBA, but. Uh, no, I mean, he, he was, he's was he been a point guard his whole life. On the U.S. 18s, he was a point guard, U.S. 17s point guard. So there's a learning curve. He was a shooting first point guard on Washington last year because you went to Washington. They didn't Alex. have anyone else. They had no yeah. one else to go. You're watching your you know your alum, uh, uh, your team play, uh, mm-hmm. your alma mater play, and they were horrible. So he shot a lot, but he, he was to. still a point guard shooting a lot. You see, Trey Young this year is passing like crazy, but he's still scoring like crazy as well. So, this is way too much. Uh, Let me just we're, get we're it real dignifying quick. I know. We'll have to give his perspective way some kind more of, of explanation <laughs> than he deserves. But with that in mind, you know, the idea that Simmons can't play with another guard who needs to have the ball in his hands would basically tell me the Sixers will never be good enough to win because you have absolutely need to have another wing on that team that can play. Exactly. Well, it's, ba- it's basically <laughs> relegating him to playing off the ball. And I, no, it's not. It sort of is. It's, it's a super pa- Look, TJ McConnell seamlessly weaves in and out with Ben Simmons, and they play right. well together. Well, I don't know if they play well they together, play but well they enough. play together. They play they, together. Imagine right. if, if Fultz was in that position instead of McConnell. That's the whole point of how it, they set up their not, team. Not McConnell. No, it's Bayless. It's supposed to be Bayless. But McConnell yes. and Simmons play yes. a lot together. Yes, yes, Imagine do. that being Fultz instead. That's the whole point. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. Give, having... him, give him a chance to play together. Let's see if it works out well. Obviously, if it does, then that take is insane. I just, I, it's, it's, I can easily see them not playing well together or not being, you know, the sum of the parts or whatever okay. phrase you want to use. I'm not disagreeing with that, but they're not going to trade you. Uh, we shall see. Yeah. All right. With we, that, I got to go, we gentlemen. We the pod. Bye, Alex. Yes. See ya, see ya. All right. Zito, we don't even need to get your thoughts on that. Um, it's a ridiculous th- opinion. Pray <laughs> it came out with a large, hard F right there. So this podcast isn't going to be able to be downloaded by any children under 18 That might anymore. be just as bad as Skip Bayless <laughs> tweeting last night that the Cavs are now IT's team. Oh, Did you yeah. see that? Uh, he's He's... I actually laughed. He's as passionate about <laughs> staying in wrestling heel character as anyone I've ever seen. I thought you laughed. What do you I think? think? I think he that makes was a lot of money from it. Yeah, he does exactly. I think that was one of those moments where you know, like uh, the the bit, the bitter understands the bit and is kind of trying to wink at us and be like, "Don't you guys see what I'm doing?" That's what it sounded yeah, like yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah, it's yeah. like. It's, it's, he knows how ridiculous that is. I'm sure he's talking about it this morning with who is it, Shannon Sharp now, or who's he with? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, whatever. Um, yeah, Shannon one. Sharp. Shannon Sharp, yeah, right. Like those those types of takes. I my favorite thing, quick aside, on any of those shows are when they tackle like non big four sports and they just butcher it. That's my favorite thing about any morning like uh ESPN or, or Fox show. And they're just like, ah, oh, the, the 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 Conor McGregor fight this past weekend, he kicked him in the head. Can you believe that? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, man, it's, it's freaking it MMA. Um, so, <laughs> what what they do? Um, but uh, all right, let's get back to uh, the meat of the NBA season. Another team we haven't even talked about probably this year on this podcast. Legitimately, I don't know if we've mentioned them yet, which just speaks to how under the radar they always fly, how over the border and under the radar. You like that, Mike? It's the yeah. Raptors. It was a ca- it was yeah, a count well of the joke. Anyhow, um, over the border yet under the radar. Yeah, huh? ah, just mm. found our headline for the Raptors article that'll hopefully be written, um, which is That's a to say though. that Demar Derozan's been incredible. And I actually got to firsthand watch him put up a high forties game against the Sixers, which was an incredible performance. I mean, he hit a bunch of threes that night, but he had a fifty point game the other day. 
in general, it is his team now. Um, Kyle Lowry is a great player and a, and, a, and a very nice point guard in this league, but he is aging out of his prime, and DeRozan's firmly in it. So, Zito, what are you seeing from DeMar this year uh, and the Raptors in general that excites you and, and thinks maybe they could be the team that breaks up that Cavaliers-Celtics Eastern Conference Final? Well, first of all, like I'm still every time I hear Kyle Lowry's name, I still think of the, my little brother ethering him in the video saying that he only scored seven points. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I like DeRozan, right? The my favorite thing about DeRozan so far is the fact that not even that long ago he was the he was one of the the image or the pictures people that NBA Twitter crucifies like mm-hmm. weekly. Mm-hmm. Just because he plays sort of like Kobe, and so anything like Kobe, anything that's not modernized, gets destroyed. As a lot of virtue signaling, right? Like I'm part of this an- analytics group who understands that a three pointer is worth more than a two pointer, and so anything that doesn't fall into those lines needs to be, you know, ridiculed to the point that even DeRozan gets uh it gets to the point where it's suggested that DeRozan is a bad player, even if like. <laughs> couple of years ago when he's not it's just that he doesn't play like how uh how fans or critics think that he should yeah Mm. there's a lot of it on nba twitter it's the it's a let the higher up twitter it's the little clicks of nba twitter right it's just it's a long thing it's high school right there's the there's a really smart stat nerds and then there's the ones who want to be part of that group and so they destroy like people that they think that they should destroy don't you guys think kobe gets different conversations no, no, but I'm getting back to DeRozan. <laughs> no, but that, no, like, with, the, with, with DeRozan, I'm saying, like, aren't you really saying, on one hand, like, you're really, you're hurting my ability to enjoy with this player for what he is, but really, they're just saying, okay, like, he's dazzling to watch on some level, but the stats are that the team struggles without him. The stat is that in the playoffs, he really struggles. They're using, you can be a fun player while still at times being ineffective because you're, you're, um, your weaknesses potentially. Mm. I feel like this is no, no, interesting. See, that's, that's the smart argument to make, but that's never what the argument is. It's well, always that's, that's like, what this is why I think is interesting because perspective is such an interesting way of thinking about it. I, I think that we take that in that argument in a certain way because you know for you there's a larger point that's being made here, which is that you kind of like that you think that diversity of of skills should be appreciated because otherwise you don't want everything to be the same you got you love basketball because everybody's a little bit different and i i'm with you on this by the way but when someone says that demar Derozan is not as effective as he seems that's a a way of threatening that that diversity because someone will see that and think well he's got to now be like everybody else um right i mean that that's the deeper thing you're kind of talking about here right well yeah to a point but i understand uh the arguments by the really smart individuals, which is that DeRozan does play this way. He's really good this way, but he could be better if he shot more threes, right? Like he would be better for the team. And he, he has shot more threes. This yeah, year. yeah, and he has been, which is what's like, like really amazing about this year is that he's diversified his game more and he's playing better. And he's even shooting like really high percentage from twos. And I appreciate that. The the really the really annoying part is when that smart argument becomes a way to denigrate DeRozan to the point where anybody mm-hmm. who shoots like twos or anything is just seen as bad, right? Not not that they're good, but they could be bad. But just like you're playing the game wrong, 
Right. I, I think and there's that's, definitely some that's of that. when it gets annoying. Yeah, and that's when that gets annoying. There's definitely some of it's that. It's like you're, for sure. Yeah, that, at that point, it's just like you don't really want to appreciate this player or actually like talk about this player. You just want to let everybody know that you view this game this way and you're part of this group who views the game this way. And so that's annoying. But I appreciate, really, really love what DeRozan is this year. And because Kyle Lowry is no longer the leader, that makes it so much better for me. <laughs> I feel the same way he's as still, my little brother about him. He's still the leader. <laughs> um I think to your to your point about this, and I also think that this has a way of reducing stuff that he has improved on that's meaningful that may not be as obvious um, to us. And so, because we're always taught having that, does he shoot threes? Does he play? You know, does he shoot more ball shots enough? Right. Discussion. Um, I think for one, one of the most biggest things about the Raptors this year, the big storyline is that they've changed their offensive style. Masai Ujiri said we got to have a culture change and they brought all the same players back so everybody was a little <laughs> skeptical but what they've done is that now they they play much more of on the whole Amori ball style which is they shoot more threes, more assisted buckets, more ball movement um, all of that uh, and be, that I think has been enabled and this is a story I think has not really been told enough is that Functionally, what's happening to that team is that DeRozan is taking on as much, if not more, of the ball handling responsibilities yeah. as Kyle Lowry. Yeah. You know, and the only way that that can work is if DeRozan himself is a good enough distributor or passer, or able to make the right decisions in pick and roll. And that has been a slow, gradual, but meaningful transformation for him. But we and wouldn't it's, think it's about more Harden-ish. that. Now, again, Harden's the the uber version of that, but right. ball in hand to make the pass or ball in hand to make the best. Scoring opportunity. Yeah, it's weird to say, but I thought in his fifty-two point game, he actually passed the ball very well. Mm -hmm. But we don't, we don't have that conversation because all we're thinking of. I mean, someone is having that conversation. I don't want to say we, but I would say that there isn't. That's to Zito's point about like the, the fact that the first thing you thought of is the long two thing. This conversation isn't happening in as much of an amplified way in our circles because all we're doing is talking about the two verse three thing, and I think it has a way of denigrating other ways that a player can improve. Like DeRozan's defense, I think, has also been better. And that's another thing that, you know, regardless of the shooting threes, like his defense was not very good. No, the Raptors' D, when they get intense, is pretty good. They have a lot of long guys. They they switch really well. Um, It's actually shocking when when they blitzed the Sixers two games in a row. They did it with defense. DeRozan was really good in those games, but they had a few five, six-minute spurts where there was nowhere to go, tons of deflections. It was like bucks light almost. Yeah, I mean, they, with the Ananobi right, and yep. uh, uh, what's his name, Pascal Siakam, who yep. I love, uh, and <laughs> Dalon Wright. Uh, you know, but these are all like some of these changes um, have been facilitated because they've slowly tilted more ball handling responsibility to DeRozan, which is something that Lowry has allowed, but also something that is only possible because of ways DeRozan has improved that we don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. I think, and. That's where I think the long two discussion starts to become dominant and frustrating, to me at least. But isn't so much of that, like, we, and maybe this speaks to Zito's point a little bit, but, like, as we learned more about the analytics of basketball and we wanted to apply that to as many uh, working situations as possible, it did call out the guys who were taking a larger clip or a higher percentage of their shots as long twos, whether they were good at it or that their game was predicated upon that or not. And it makes you feel like, 
had we known more about uh, the advanced metrics of basketball in, I don't know, the 90s, they would have been like, um, you know, <laughs> Antoine Walker is a, a much better analytics player because he only takes deep through, he only takes threes and, and close twos than maybe a Paul Pierce who took a ton of mid-range, mid-range jump shots. But they were obviously, one was a much better shot than the other. Um, so it's just, you know, the, the time and place being the guy who kind of is the lightning rod for the discussion it's interesting. Happened to fall on him, um, and, and and you know, and Rudy Gay. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the, the thing is, is that <laughs> what what analytics are supposed to do, and what I think it doesn't do, because um, I think uh, we as humans need, we can't possibly comprehend the uh, uh, gray nature of our world, so we have to make sense of it in some way in black and white terms. Otherwise, we'd just be sitting around thinking all the time and never acting. Yeah, um, is that. It should lead to more questions and more curiosity to learn more, whereas I think sometimes it actually leads to less in practice. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Does, does that capture, Zito, your sort of point of view on this? Yeah, yeah it, it really does, is that we, we were given a tool to understand the game more, but rather than use it to you know, appreciate the players or trying to find you know, better ways to improve the game, it's used like very heavy-handedly. And it's it gets annoying when you see it in practice. It's like you don't really care too much about this. You just want to say these like definite things about how the game should be played, and basically signal that you're one of the smart ones. And yet, on the on the flip side, of course, one thing that is powering Demar's improvement is that he has shot more three. So in some ways, he has changed in that regard. Yeah. yeah. So it's not yeah. black and white on either side. And so I think that is no, if, no, it's not. If we can acknowledge all of those things, I think that that's where you get the most interesting discussions. Qu- quick capstone yeah. to this, uh, real quickly, or not capstone, cap in general. Um, <laughs> fucking anyhow. Uh, is do they actually have a chance though of making noise come playoff time, or is this literally every single Raptors season for the last five years? This is a tough one. I've been I've been thinking about this one a lot. I think um, the fact that they're playing differently is very encouraging. The one holdup I still have is, and I also think that DeRozan the the shifting more of the ball handling responsibility on DeRozan also just has the effect of having one less non shooter spaced off the ball. So then. And and also having Serge Ibaka for a full year, we forget that he and Lowry didn't really play much together last year before the playoffs. I think that that's another factor. the The one holdup I still have is that you know it's not quite the same as it was before because in the past it was Lowry in the bench that was just killing teams, and the rest of the Atlanta were were pretty average. And that's now it's just the bench that's killing teams. Um, I think <laughs> they've done a really clever thing with their D League affiliate, where all these guys. Um, Van Fleet, mm-hmm. uh, Siakam, Jakob per- Pertle, who's been an interesting player this year, DeLon Wright. These guys get experience playing together in the D-League team, and then they, they get thrown in lineups and they just kill teams because of their better chemistry. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, I don't know if that's going to be able to hold up. You know, each, Rotations tend to shorten in the playoffs, and then, then you have to wonder whether all these habits that they've built are going to come back. Um, but, I mean, on, in their defense, Boston – and Boston is probably not as good as they were at the beginning of the year. We've said that a lot, they, especially if Hayward doesn't come back. So I think it's possible, but I, I would, I still think that in the end this is probably going to be an unfulfilling exit. But power to them for doing the most that they could with what they had to get better. I agree with that, and I think it's it's really kind of sad that the Raptors always have like these wonderful regular seasons. 
and they just can't break through and, you know, win the conference finals or something like that. But I think that's just who they are at this point mm-hmm. is you're going to be a really good regular season team, but there's just other better teams yeah. in the conference. And, and when you flip that to like what we talked about earlier, which is like Kyrie and LeBron couldn't coexist enough to take another run at the Warriors. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. there's a team here who like is playing great basketball and like incrementally getting better and they really That's, don't have a chance. It's just like it's funny you bring that up because uh, Larry and DeRozan Yeah, they didn't get there to, are so yeah, many reasons they, they could have that they could have had the same big brother, little brother, like sort of is are you the guy? Am I the guy? Yeah. Am I the number one? And whatever that Kyrie and LeBron could have, and they just never did because they have a great relationship. A healthy relationship that yeah. I'm sure, like Lowry, they like each other. They like each other. <laughs> they like their each kids other. like each other. Their wives like each other. <laughs> and, and Lowry felt comfortable enough to admit publicly that early in the season that this new system was a, an adjustment for him, and nobody took an ulterior motive from that. Well, I mean, they his, admitted it was yeah. just every he he threw it out there, and everybody because of relationship building that they've done, everybody took him at his word and and knew that he wasn't saying that because. He was saying that as a means of trying to get better at it, and they they read good intentions from him on that. I mm-hmm. think that's it's amazing that you made that comparison. I didn't think of that, but yeah. that's 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 very interesting. Well, and in general, like, look, I'm someone who <laughs> can remember when the Sixers thought that Antonio Lang was uh, a decent power forward and that he couldn't coexist with Charles Barkley, so we got rid of Charles Barkley. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> what? I, no, I'm just saying, like, there is are that lots, how it happened? Yeah, they hated each other. Lang and, and Barkley hated they, each other. I don't think they necessarily were like, you know what, Antonio Lang is going to be the no, better but player. he was. <laughs> No, but mind you, this is 1994, and Barkley been in the league for 10, 11 years, or 10 years I at that point. I thought Barkley asked for a trade, but... I'm, I'm sure he wanted out of Philadelphia at that point. He'd been on teams with Moses and, and Dr. J, and then he was playing with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lang and... Yeah. and I, guess, um, I guess to your point, they, Spoon, tried, they tried to sell it as a positive of the trade that we're now going to get Antonio Lang's best well, effort or it's, whatever. it's that, and but the point I'm making, though, is like that was an instance where, even though Lang is by no means of the echelon or close to the quality that, like, uh, DeRozan and Lowry are to each other compared to <laughs> Barkley. But the idea was like, yo, there's two guys and one's got to go. Like, it didn't work. It doesn't work. We got to get rid of one. And rarely do you see that. Like, when Beal and Wall had their differences, whatever that may be, at no point, I, I would imagine, and again, I don't want to speak for the Wizards front office because that's impossible to do, but I'm pretty sure they weren't like, you know, we got to get rid of one of them. Let's go, let's go, let's go see what no. the waters are for one of our elite, very young guards. And mm-hmm. I don't think that was ever the case in Toronto. I would wager that I don't think McCollum has ever seriously been on the block. I just think that like the ultimately the exception rather than the rule long term is going to be what happened with Kyrie and LeBron. We right. just don't see that type of thing happen very often. Um, and and whereas things like DeRozan and Lowry learning to appreciate the strengths of each other's games, work off of each other, grow into a better uh, um, you know sum, if you will, uh, is is just a better way to go about it. And honestly, it's healthier for the NBA because. This is not to like I, I concede the Celtics control so much of the future destiny of the league and, and it, it pains me to say that it's it's a kind of staggering how much power they're going to be yielding over the next few years. But the Kyrie thing just changed all of that. Like it 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 was gasoline to an already semi semi lit fire of draft picks. And um yeah, I mean they they got one of the best players in the world in the middle of their prime, um, who really wasn't on the table for twenty eight other teams. At any uh, moment, it depends on what you believe with yeah. with what uh, Kyrie was saying. They had sure. trades worked out with other teams, but but either way, yeah. it was stemming all. If 
if they could have massaged the relationship better, Kyrie Irving would never have been traded. The only reason that was even thrown out there was because they knew that Kyrie was a little unhappy and wanted to get better harmony on the mm-hmm. team. I mean, that's all it came from. If, if LeBron and Kyrie had the relationship that DeMar and Kyle Kyle had, they never would have traded him. Of course not. Right. Um, that's why right. it's all... I didn't think of it that way, but that's it's a fascinating. And, and I do appreciate that they actually try to show that they have that kind of relationship yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Like after the first game and they hugged and whatever. And I was just like, they want so much to show that they're not, like they don't dislike each other that much. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that they really dislike each other. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I think that there is actually like some value in – pretending and then you kind of are speaking a relationship into existence like there is yeah. some research that shows that 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 basically the fake it to you till you make it thing actually like does change how you perceive yourself and how others perceive you and does allow you to become more competent in certain fields um but it like you said with Kyrie and lebron they did try to make a show of how they they liked each other and it never worked uh yeah. so it, sometimes it, it doesn't always it, work yeah. Yeah, the fake it till you make it then needs a little kind of belief from both sides. It's not – you can't just go in there and do the hug and then walk away like this fucking guy. <laughs> like, yeah. So you can't do what I do to you all the time. Yeah, because some camera would yeah. catch that like little aside like, fuck this guy. Yeah, so that's what usually happens with them. It's like, no, we don't have any problem at all. And then it's like, yeah, that's number 23's job. <laughs> yeah, that was the other story in there that was – fascinating i don't know basically the idea that they had it which first of all by the way um david griffin hinted at this story when he we he talked to our cast blogger last april which is basically there's this practice that happens and ty Lue is telling kyrie irving you got to push the ball a little bit more and to get better shots and kyrie's like why i can get my shot whenever i want like I, why do i need to go faster for it and ty Lue is like i'm not talking about your shot dummy i'm talking about richard jefferson jr smith everybody else does better and Kyrie's response was oh that's that's 23's job basically suggesting the fact that he doesn't even say his name right he's not lebron james or that lebron's job that's 23's job it's it's such an impersonal way to say it Mm -hmm. and i like i appreciate the pettiness in like being very impersonal about somebody that you don't like yeah, I mean, and that you know that he didn't say that just because out of just this one moment where he he uh, didn't like LeBron, like it's a buildup of stuff that you let fester <laughs> instead yeah, of just yeah. like I asked this question on Twitter, and I'm I I'm curious. I would love to know the answer, so I never will know. Over under zero point five times that Kyrie directly confronted LeBron about being called kid and little brother. Under, I think it's under two. Oh, he. he- yeah, he never. He doesn't sound like he ever confronted him about it. Yeah, he acted like, like he directly. Can. I mean, he, he, act, he acted yeah, yeah, like direct. he didn't want to be told that he was. Like you, you want to be a peer of LeBron. You could do what Dwayne Wade did in his career. You could do what Chris Bosh did in Miami when he didn't think he was being. You can talk to this guy as if he is your peer. Otherwise, you're going to be called kid. Like you, he's going to treat you well, like. Well, LeBron a, does have that. LeBron does have that like character though right definitely like definitely. he treats everybody like they're under him like mm-hmm. he's like the big brother father figure to everyone yep yeah. right like he yep. like that's his leadership style is i'm the top dog so i take care of everybody else and i like even talking to people his age as if he's like counseling them or talking to them so i think for some people that's kind of graded remember when they asked Kyrie if lebron's like a father figure to him and he just gave the the most wonderful reaction like he was just 
like yeah, incredulous like, that they asked him that. But the funny thing is that I imagine for a lot of people, it's nice to have LeBron act that way towards them. They want that. Yeah, yeah. probably mm-hmm. most people. But so if you're in LeBron's shoes, right? And this is why I think this is an interesting that how many times I actually talked. If you're in LeBron's shoes and you've acted this way towards so many people and so many people have appreciated it, you've made you've had great relationships, you've had great harmony, frankly, you've made a lot of players better and this is how you've been, it would never enter your worldview that you were intending to be disrespectful. Unless someone no. told you, you know what, I know you don't mean this, but I find this disrespectful. And but it's hard to have that conversation. It's like an awkward thing to have and so what ends up happening instead is that they both think that, like Kyrie thinks that he's being disrespected, and LeBron's like, "What are you talking?" Would be thinking like, "What are you talking about?" I never would have thought that. And they're just speaking past each other. Did you see the whole thing in that story about how Kyrie's like, "Oh yeah, they wanted to trade me," and LeBron was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how these things happen when you just don't feel comfortable. You, you, when you assume that the other person is seeing the world the same way you are. Yeah, it's. Well, wasn't it always going to be volatile just because Kyrie comes to Cleveland and he's like this wonderful star and then LeBron just comes back? Yeah. I mean, it was like that was just built to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there was no way to solve that. But like I would think that let put it this way. If something like that happened here, what I would do is one of the first things I do before something like that happened is I'd sit the parties down and just like have a air out session. Or I would just well, say, I think like, they should have done that when they, LeBron first came back. Yeah, right? I agree. Yeah. It's to have that conversation, like, hey, LeBron's back, but that doesn't diminish what you mean or who you are for this team. Because that's what I think that's just what the stems from it is that he had his star was rising and then all of a sudden he became a sidekick. Right. And maybe they did, but maybe it wasn't conveyed the right way. I mean, the language matters, presentation matters. This is all hard stuff, but. It, it's just to me the LeBron Kyrie breakup is such a human story that I can relate to in a weird way, and that probably says something about how I see the world. But that's why I found it so fascinating. Yeah, no, me too. And it's a human story inside of a sport that's like an incredible soap opera, and it fed into the you know 365 days a year narrative, which is part of the NBA. But like mm-hmm. last off season, this past year hasn't stopped right. um, for almost two years straight now, and it's the foreseeable future is this is the way the NBA is going to be. These are people with uh, um, large lives outside of the court, um, and people are interested in them. Like the only reason why when Kyrie says the world is flat, that that friggin' matters, that that stupid take matters, is because Kyrie is an extremely popular athlete. And mm-hmm. that goes yeah. for on the court and off, which I think is you know just how we have to accept yeah. athletes moving forward. Um, again, to, to note my man Charles, uh, unlike Charles, these people will be role models uh, and have to own <laughs> that. Um, so another, what you're saying basically is that Kyrie and LeBron were literally in different worlds. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. They were, world, they were, Zeta they were, laugh. They were Come world, on. I'm not laughing at that. <laughs> I'm not laughing at that. <laughs> worlds apart. Worlds apart. Yes. Uh, took that pun up to the edge and it fell off. Uh, yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's fascinating. No, I mean, one last point on this all is that yeah. it's also a nice reminder that, like, we get feedback on what our world is like in so many different places mm-hmm. that we take for granted that we need to maintain and massage the relationship in a way because absent of that, some other 
stimulus or perspective. And in, in Jackie's story, she talked a little bit about Kyrie's dad and how Kyrie's dad was feeding a perception mm-hmm. to him. If you if you don't take extra steps to maintain that relationship and that open line, someone else, something, someone or something else is going to fill it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think is the other lesson that this tells. This story, you know, it, someone someone's going to tell Kyrie, yeah, man, he's disrespecting you. Yeah, but. All in all, you're never really getting the – I mean, maybe they did and maybe it just didn't go well, but I suspect that they did not ever have the just sit down where they actually could – were open with each other about where they were. Imagine if, like, LeBron told Kyrie, look, I, know, I really don't mean disrespect by this. This is just how I always am. I, brotherhood is so important to yeah. me. You know, I had – this is how I grew up. This is how I – my – my uh, business partners is how we became a thing. It's just a really important thing. It's not a term of disrespect. It's a term of endearment. Um, and here's why. And like, I would never want to disrespect you. I don't, maybe LeBron did disrespect Mike, you. You are so apologetic, man. LeBron would never be like, look, here's 15 songs. Yeah, and you're asking the, the one of the greatest <laughs> players ever put aside his ego for Kyrie Irving. And yeah. you're asking Kyrie to put aside his ego. Yeah. To, like that's you tell me DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry don't have egos look you're right in the sense of 100% <laughs> this should have been that's, that's the ideal yeah. of how people should deal with their yes. problems but like yes. unless you have a third or like a mediator that's not that's really ever going to happen yeah. or like people who genuinely care about each other like DeMar Dor and Kyle Lowry yeah. is like we care about each other we're having problems it says we already have a baseline of like compassion. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. you're right. You do need that. <laughs> now, how did they? How could they have fostered that a little bit more? I think is sort of where I come from too. If they went to the movies beforehand, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is like the best activity they could have done to become best friends? Like, what is the best icebreaker uh, for new? Teammates? I don't know. I don't know anything good on the ground in Cleveland. Do, like... do you think they should have done like one of those escape the rooms? <laughs> Just the two of them <laughs> escaping a room. <laughs> No, because they would have murdered each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like what, what the I trust falls. A simple thing, like it's like a simple thing of probably just like going to a comedy show or going to the movies or something like that, right? Yeah. It's the little activities <laughs> where you get to know the person, yeah, and oh. then you you're willing to like adapt your behavior to what the person likes or whatever. It's just simply if you are willing to get to know somebody. And you're willing to like move forward with them on their own terms rather than trying to mold them into whatever you want. I, yeah, and like I guess to put a ball on this because we got to wrap it up. But I, I think one of the aspects of this that's always going to frustrate me is the pettiness of not being able to set aside any of the things we just talked about. The personal bullshit to make them the best possible product on the court. Um, the, sacrificing what could be the greatness that that could have been. Um, for the short-term personal beef or whatever or miscommunication or lack thereof communication is upsetting. Like that is, That's one of those 30 for 30s, the, the you know, unmet potential that you might see someday. Um, what if LeBron had maximized the final four years of his career with Kyrie moving age 25 to 29? Um, There's also LeBron or KD and Russ. Definitely. And the Thunder is the same definitely. sort of thing. Yeah, and I mean, of course. Of you course. can see I how think... easily this falls apart, yeah. and it is frustrating. Yeah, because from our perspective, you look at it, and it's you're right. It's like this is all such petty BS. Yeah, but when you're in 
when you're in that petty BS, it yeah. just seems like the most important thing exactly. at that moment. Exactly. Right? Like you don't see whatever's gonna happen. It's after it's ended and you go your separate ways and then you start to, you know, reflect back on it and you're just like, That was that was kind of unneeded. That you could have ended all of this. Right. But when you're in the midst of it, it's like life or death and you yeah. just wanna be as petty as possible. Yeah. That's exactly it though. Yeah. I mean that's the thing. So well it's hard. Look Here's hoping that Kyrie gets into some beef with all of his teammates in, in Boston now uh, and this thing that implodes. And you hear about, like, Marcus Smart punching him in the face someday. Uh, you, mean, you mean Marcus Smart flopping during practice and Kyrie yelling at him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, but anyhow, Kyrie, so I forgot to ask up. your opinions on yeah. how that Rockers game ended last, the, last week with nah, the two least, offensive fouls. Yeah. And you were so mad at me when you texted yeah, me. Yeah, I was serious. Because, first of all, it was, a, it was a great game and an incredible comeback that, that – to me, and look, I, I was chatting with our friend Mike Pina, who thought it was the greatest comeback ever, and it was the most amazing way to win a game. Greatest comeback ever? No, insofar as like if yeah, you're gonna pick the enjoyable. most, like yeah. probably the three to one thing. Yeah, it's not just. The, I don't. I don't mean um, greatest in terms of like <laughs> overall comebacks ever. Right. Right. I right, mean right, like. Right. I mean like the way that it could happen to be a troll and to like ironically beat a team, it's like, oh, how'd they win? Well, Marcus Smart flopped twice at the end of the game to win it. And you're like, wait, <laughs> what? It was a, a flop-off? He, he walked off flopping right. to win it? Like, yes. And in fact, the second time, the ref looked at them the entire time, saw the flop, and still made the wrong call. My, my opinion on this is pretty simple. It's not Marcus Smart's fault. He's going to keep doing it until it is no longer a foul. It is up to the NBA. There are a slew of new officials who don't really have a good idea. They're more like college officials and how they call charges and blocks now. It's a big frustration of mine. And when you have a player who is notorious, notorious for grabbing someone and then falling in front of them. I'm so glad I got you wound you, up on you this. Can't, you can't <laughs> give them the benefit of that doubt, let alone twice in yeah. a twenty a two-second span in the final 10 seconds of a game. It was insane to watch that. So it falls on the refs to me. I listened to the Van Gundy Woj pod a couple days ago. Van Gundy was also critical of the refs. Uh, wow, Jeff Van Gundy critical of referees? I know. Well, I've he's never actually, heard that before. It's funny because he's since he's been a broadcaster, he's been much more sympathetic. Um, yes, he'll be like, what? that was obvious. How could that player be complaining about what was so obvious? Like, no, that's he's usually always criticizing the officials. Dude, Van Gundy's side's on. always criticizing the players for complaining about obvious fouls. That's the new says, Van Gundy. He says both, but yeah. Okay, but but the, see, the funny thing is you asked Celtics fans about the end of that game. It was like, it. you know, great defense. This, loved it. Yeah. You know, uh, Made a play. Mackie Smack's the best play in the league. Yeah, that's it's all a matter garbage. of perspective. Well, always I just, is. I just like, I just like the irony of it. Is fact like that's just wonderful yeah. irony. <laughs> but when like you just, it's just so perfect that it's James Harden who's at fault, and it's like, yeah, no matter how much I feel about the fouls not being called, the fact that it was against James Harden is like, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> no, right. let the. I agree. Let the gods do their work. Because, because the other the other part of that is Harden made a decision after the first charge that he was going to do the same thing yeah, again. He, he like totally. He to, was just to like just like test the referee, and the ref was like, oh, if he's gonna if he's gonna flop and he's gonna do the same thing, we're gonna call the same call twice. So I guess in that regard, it was consistently bad, uh, which is all you can ask. Yeah, for. it's like when you um, when you get mad at someone for like hitting you, and like the other person then hits harder and's like that hard enough for you. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just, like James Harden deserves to lose a game because somebody flopped. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is very poetic. That's that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anyhow, this is fun. Uh, Zito, thank you for coming on, man. Expressing your opinions um, on our man Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie, 
DeRozan, et cetera. Always good to uh, hear your voice. I hope that your your Arsenal gunners uh, save a little face today against Chelsea. I know that game is on somewhat soon. So thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. And uh, Mike Prada, I think we have a few more of these that we can bang out in the next couple weeks as the NBA heats up, gets into, what, all-star games in February, trade yeah. deadlines in February. So some good stuff is coming around the horizon, um, and we'll be sure to tackle to all of that. Absolutely. Um, and let's see. If you haven't watched it yet, everybody, uh, go watch Mike's Prada's pictures he did on Ben Simmons. It's really good. I'm not just saying that. Uh, I'm a Sixers fan. Uh, it's just really interesting in general. And when you watch that, it's impossible to now not see the things that Mike calls out when you watch Ben Simmons play. So it's a nice tutorial for how to watch the game. Yep. So check that out as well. There will be more of those coming in the future, by the way. Yep. yep. So uh, probably a lot more. So. Yep. And uh, looking forward to those. So, uh, again, Zito, thanks for coming on. Alex Rubenstein was on here earlier. He had to run. He had that terrible Markel Fultz take. We won't hold that against him. Mike Mike. Just <laughs> edit it out. <laughs> edit that out. Um, put some, we'll put some alarms on that. Anyhow, Mike, until next time, I'm Ben. This is the Limited Upside Podcast.